0: And another thing. And another thing. And another thing. And another thing. Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing, the podcast that continues to set the bar in the world of podcasts. My name is Jody Jenkins.
1: My name is Tony Clement.
0: And Tony, you must be feeling a little bit of heat in the last 24, 48 hours, seeing that you spent a lot of time in that same Jamaica complex where <laughs> Prime Minister Trudeau is is spending yeah. his time, or did spend some time. Is that correct?
1: Oh yes, I was. Uh, I was definitely part of the that elite group for sure. Yes, it's of lovely. You,
0: you stick 100% to the Clement wing.
1: So. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: You just come out <laughs> on your balcony, wave at Justin and the family the odd time. Yeah, I,
1: th- I think we had an episode of uh, White Lotus in there too.
0: <laughs> you know, I've only watched about half of one episode of that show.
1: I s- I saw the whole first season because my uh, two of my kids insisted I watch it, so I I watched yeah, the I, first season. That's I didn't. It
0: for me. I didn't. I, di- I I don't know. I, I I don't. I don't think. First of all, you can't. It's hard to come into a series in the middle of it. And I know yeah. that we, we've talked about that show before, but and I and I not only did I come into the series in the middle of the, the season, I came in the middle of an actual episode, which yeah probably doubles up on the uh, doubles up on the result of not getting into it. So, uh,
1: yeah, that's tough. Yeah, that is tough. But, but
0: you know yeah. what? Speaking of interesting shows and before we thank our sponsors and get yeah. to our guests, I started watching that Tetris movie with. Yeah, isn't it great? Yeah, it's good.
1: (laughs) Oh, I've been recommending it. You you know, the funny thing is, Jody, that was happening the same time I was in Russia uh, doing business. Seriously? Oh yeah, yeah. Like I was, I was there in the USSR, 1990 and 91, and that's the same time period.
0: Yeah, that's it's it's an interesting movie, especially because I was a. Uh, you know, I was a big Tetris person and I remember when Game Boys came out and te- yeah. anyway, that was, I was just, yeah, it was, it was interesting. And that's a
1: story I had no idea about. I don't know about you.
0: Yeah. It's ama- It's amazing what, what they can make movies out of when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, I, I, I was great. to my Tetris.
1: screen on that one. I thought that was really well done.
0: And on an unrelated note, I took the family to see Super Mario Brothers a couple of
1: weeks ago. And how'd that go?
0: That's yeah, a pretty good movie too. Yeah, is like it good? Yeah. It, yes, it's animated, obviously, but... Yeah. Uh, Kiddos uh, loved it, was, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was good. It was good to be in a movie theater. I haven't been to a theater in a long time, but... Well, uh, I hadn't been
1: for a long time, and then I saw John Wick 4, uh, as I may have mentioned. I've
0: never seen any of those, but... Yeah.
1: Oh, you haven't seen any of John Wick? No, no. I Can I make this point? Uh, you know, no, John, John no. Wick 4, yeah. uh, he, uh, in a three-hour movie... Says four hundred words. That's it. Really? Yeah.
0: What would the average person say in a movie? I don't like. I don't know.
1: Probably many hundreds and thousands. So you know, it's, the, the the dialogue. I'm not giving anything away. Is more or less, "Hey, John, you're going to need some more guns," and then Wick replies, "Yeah."
0: What about the Mandalorian? There's not many words spoken in that.
1: That's true. Yeah, yeah. our friend Pedro. Yeah, anyway. exactly.
0: Enough about me. What do you think about me? Okay. Uh, this, this show each week is brought to you by, uh, the amazing team at Municipal Solutions, John Mutton and the crew there doing wonderful work. And John, of course, continues to assemble his, uh, man. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to call it a man cave, but it's a tribute to the tribute to sports in general. Some of his favorite teams, including the Green Bay Packers, uh, the New York Yankees and, uh, the like, but, uh, yeah, so You can share a little bit more about Municipal Solutions and what they do there, Tony. Yes, uh,
1: John is definitely building quite the shrine down there. in the Shrine,
0: that's the word, yes. Yeah,
1: and uh, we've got this invitation. We're going to have to take him up on it at one point. But uh, in the meantime, John is the leader of Ontario's leading MZO firm. They're there for development approvals, permit expediting, planning services with municipalities, engineering and architectural services, even things like minor variances and land severances, and good old building permits, municipalsolutions.ca and John will be be there for you. And we should also mention, of course, Jody, that uh, these podcasts are repeated uh, at Hunters Bay Radio, which is 88.7 FM, huntersbayradio.com in Huntsville, Muskoka.
0: And I'm going to give two quick shameless plugs because I haven't mentioned these items in a long time or these businesses slash events please the first one being lord and lady coffee
1: lord and lady plug. coffee they're, they're still th- going strong aren't they oh, Yeah,
0: still going strong so check them out at lordandlady.ca if you are a coffee fanatic uh i think you would really enjoy trying some of the blends uh, of this product so lordandlady.ca and then second a big outdoor summer concert in eastern ontario uh, happening July 5th in Belleville, yes, uh, featuring Country Act, the Abrams. And Tony, you are a proud sponsor of this event.
1: Proud sponsor. Uh,
0: yeah, tickets are only 35 bucks. You will not find a more energy-filled outdoor f- party than July 5th in Belleville, featuring the Abrams, Endless Summer. Go to AbramsTickets.com. Tickets are limited, so I encourage you to do it now.
1: And uh, both Jody and I will be there. And uh, so come yeah, on out. It might some. drive
0: people away. It's like no, no, no,
1: no. It. You know, it's the end and, and another thing podcast. We're, we're going to be there. So come on, folks. Come on out.
0: Yeah, just don't approach us, uh, unless, no, no, don't unless, approach uh, us. unless our security is cleared about. <laughs> That's right. You got it. And, and speaking of, speaking of um, security and safety, uh, we, our guests, I'm going to let you introduce our guest because that was probably a bad segue, but
1: no, it, it kind of worked, but I kind of worked I, maybe. Okay. Yeah, no, it's good. It's all good. Well, we're very pleased to have Ron Chinzer on our program. He, for 15 years, he was a police officer with the Toronto police service. He specialized in youth transfer transformation, a lot of anti-gang stuff, a lot of community engagement. He was the conservative party of Canada candidate in the 2022 Mississauga Lakeshore by election, and I think, Ron, do you have a podcast as well? Do you have a podcast, Ron? I
2: d- I do. Thanks, Tony, for the intro. Yeah, my podcast is the Ron Chinzer podcast. It just covers off of a bunch of public speaking that I do in and around the stuff we're going to be talking about today. That I make freely available to the public.
1: That is fantastic. Good for you. Well, we're, it's a, such a pleasure to have you on the program, and we do mm-hmm. want to talk about, uh, you know, what what your role has been. I know you feel very uh, emotional and strong ab- uh, and strongly about uh, saving youth from, uh, lives of crime and gang activity. So maybe just give our audience a little bit of a taste of what you've been doing.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a really long story, but over the last 20 years, I've been involved in law enforcement. I was a civilian with one police agency for three years during the beginning of my law enforcement career, where I was working in intelligence and listening to wiretaps. So I had the ability to be able to listen to, uh, international organized crime, homicide investigations. Uh, dirty cops, uh, you know abductions. I got to really hear the bad guys, quote unquote, in their element. And then I became a police officer in Toronto Police for 15 years. And I spent six years in the gun and gang task force, where in my last four years with the service, I was uh, the founder of the gang prevention task force, where we created the world's largest gang exit strategy, where we've helped over a thousand people now get out of the gang lifestyle. It's 75% male, 25% female. And when I talk about gun and gang lifestyle, I'm talking about Guns, gangs, murder, sex trafficking, drug trafficking, uh, abductions, you name it, they do it. But we've managed to get uh, over a thousand of them on the pathway to get out. And then uh, in 2021, I left the Toronto Police Service. I went to a smaller organization, a little bit closer to home, where I would have the ability to make a proof of concept on a larger scale, a more impactful scale, for it to be mimicked all over the world Um, for other agencies and other organizations to be able to do the same thing that we did
1: so what what's going on out there tell us tell us some of the stories uh, you know how bad is it
2: it's bad i'll tell you it's bad and when i say it's bad this is where people get a hiccup right they they hear of criminals and when i look back and i look back at the last 20 years of my career of uh, being embedded in not only the hard side of policing but i was also on the soft side you know i did a bunch of community and youth programs with very gang impacted and crime impacted neighborhoods i've done a bunch of stuff with parents of these uh, kids as well as with cities and economic development, whatever we can do to fix it. But what I've seen over the last four or five years, since 2019, the bail reform has been something I've never seen before. And it wasn't just the bail reform, but it was just a bunch of things happening at the same time. We're talking COVID, bail reform, a softer justice system, the social impact of the optics that every single bad guy is a victim in some lens, which I can sympathize and empathize with, but not at the expense of there's bad people doing bad things. And just to see it all come together, and one of the most frustrating parts of it for me and many other police officers is, we, we scratch our head, we bang our head on the wall, and we say, "What did you expect to happen with these soft on crime policies?" You know, yeah. and, and here we yeah. are, and every headline is, "What are we doing about this?" And the most frustrating part out of all of it is, not only was this predictable by any normal person, any reasonable person could have looked at what decisions were being made four to five years ago, and say, "This is not going to be good." And when it happened now, they said, well, we don't know how it happened. And then you have all these magicians show up with these brand new strategies. They're asking for hundreds of millions of dollars or a couple million here and there to be able to get a brand new strategy when we know there's strategies that have worked historically and those are just ignored. So we have this rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, which is where we're at now. And it's not just in the metropolis of Canada. It's in every major city, every small city. We're all feeling it. So to see it, it's, it's pretty crazy. But if you want stories, give me a, give me a specific topic and I'll tell you some of the craziest stories that I've heard. Well, I I've mean, uh,
1: even, even uh, some of the, the uh, youth gang stories, uh, give us a taste of what's going on out there.
2: Yeah. So youth gangs that's a, that's a very interesting one because all over North America and Canada is no different. I mean, our gangs are a little bit different because we have them kind of separated into two groups. There's uh, first nations and indigenous have a very American style of gang there. You know, you have to get beat in, you have to do certain things to get incorporated into the gang. And then their activities are, are very based on loyalty to a, to an organization or a turf. But if you go to the other bigger cities, like let's say Toronto and Vancouver, while turf is there and turf's primary objective is to be able to traffic in drugs, collect debt and, um, and, uh, to control a territory to traffic in an illicit market. Um, the territory doesn't matter as much in major cities, as much as the opportunity to make money. So they're very transient where, you know, gang A can hate gang B, but if there's an equal opportunity for both of them to make money, whether it be drug trafficking or human trafficking, well, they'll work together. So they're very opportunist in this type of sense. And for, for some of the gang kids that we've dealt with, I'll tell you a few stories. Um, uh, but I'll tell you the success stories and I'll tell you the ones where we lost them. I'll actually give you one where, where we kind of, I'll give you two. Uh, I'll give you the two that, that always stick out to me. And then the stories that I tell whenever I go out and I do these, these public talks and they're not just talks to the public, but I also advocate to municipal, provincial and federal levels of government. I don't care who the party is. I just need to advocate for the change. And I'll tell you the f- the first one we had was, uh, and the way our system was developed is we educated uh, 2000 frontline cops over a period of six months. We said, look, here are objective risk factors, and there's 36 of them over five categories of life. It starts in your family, it goes in your school, it's your peer group, it's you as an individual. And lastly, and for government, this is the most important, it's your community, it's the infrastructure. And we uh, educated these cops, and we said, look, if you come across these objective risk factors in the city of Toronto, you, you know a kid, you know a family, you arrest somebody, and this starts to make sense to you because now we're giving you the education and painting the picture. Well, we'll call us and, and bring us in. Do a little soft pitch for us, and we'll take care of the rest. So one day, I get a call from the school in the west end of Toronto, which is, at that time, 50% of the city shootings and homicides were in the northwest pocket of Toronto. All right. They were sitting right there. And I get called to this one school and uh, the school calls me up. So do police officers in the area. And they said, look, we had a 12 year old kid put a knife to a girl's throat and said, I'm going to kill you. And he's got 19 day suspension because after 20, it's an expulsion, but he's 12. So they said, look, we we talked to him. We talked to the family. We think an intervention might work. Can you come in and talk to the kid? So I come in and, you know, you hear the story again, 12 year old comes in, puts a knife to a girl's throat, says, I'm going to kill you. And then walks away and throws the knife in the garbage. And you think in your head, you know, this kid's going to be this just this nasty kid, this this machine, this heartless person. He's a kid. When he walked in, I, I couldn't believe what I was looking at because even me with my experience, you jump to conclusions sometimes, right? And the benefit is you can meet people and they can change your mind. Well, this little kid comes in. I don't know. He must have been five feet tall, maybe 90 pounds. Wow. And when he comes in, he's wearing, you know, he's wearing secondhand clothing. He has his head down. His mom is with him. And he puts his head down and he says, hello, sir, how are you? And that's not what I was expecting. So I talked to him and I said, hey, kid, what's happening with you? And his mom is there. And we always work with the parents because a family structure is so critical in the success of anything. I mean, you know, the, the thing even about athletes that come from really broken homes is why they're so celebrated is because across the world, people could, can understand that if you don't have a supportive family structure for you to make it to this level, it's got to be incredible. So we understand the value of family. Well, this kid, when we talk about his family, we're talking to his mom, but it turns out this is what happens. And it's a, it's a very impactful story because the, the mom is very inspiring to me. And the kid says, look, you know, um, well, one of the things we do with the kids is we go through the everyday. I want to know what is your average day look like? So I asked this kid, well, he says, you know, I wake up at seven o'clock in the morning. I have two younger siblings and he's 12. Keep this in mind because I have two younger siblings. I have to put in breakfast for them. I can never watch the TV because the youngest always fights for it. And then I have to leave with them on the city bus and take them to their daycare. I drop them off at daycare and then I walk to school. And by the time I get to school, I'm there an hour early. So he just hangs out. School starts. He comes in. And when he's in school, you know, it's a tough time for him. There's bullies there. There's actually a gang that's his age, like a legitimate family gang that beats him up all the time. He gets in fights with these guys all the time. And at the end of school, he has to wait around till five o'clock to be able to go and to pick up his younger siblings on the bus and then come home. And this kid is, is 12 and he's got a he's got a 12 hour day and he's got to be responsible for these younger kids. So, you know, most people who don't know the story says, well, what is mom doing and where is dad? Yeah. And that's one of the most common questions. Well, look, dad's in the picture, but he's not in the picture, but he's there. Right. He, he's got his own struggles. And, uh, mom is there. So I look at mom and I said, well, mom, when he's doing all this stuff, like, where are you? And this is where things become a little bit more generational and you, you develop a, a strong sense of sympathy and empathy for these people. And, and mom was great. She says, look, I got to get up at six o'clock and I go job hunting. And, uh, you know, she's like, I have to go and do these, these temp jobs. I have to make some money to pay for grocery. But by the time I come home, it's nine o'clock because I have to take a bus to and from. So my son has all this responsibility but we don't have any other help and she said additionally she'd lost her job and she was living with her mother in community housing now in this community housing building there's there's two bedrooms one is for her mom her and her three kids are in one bedroom and she has a brother with mental illness and her brother with mental illness is also a gang member right it, it can happen he's a very sure, violent sure. person he's not healthy so This kid says he comes home one day and this girl in his class, so he can take getting beat up all the time, but this girl in his class calls him stupid. So he comes home and he's really upset and he says, you know She calls me stupid. She makes fun of me at school and his uncle who's mentally ill says, you should take this knife to school and threaten to kill her. So that's what this kid does. He goes to school and he threatens to kill her. And then here we are. And when I talk to mom, mom is not forthcoming and eventually I pull it out of her and you know the reason why she lost her job. She had cancer. Yeah, and th- th- and she 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 lost her job. She had to get you know her treatments. She wasn't healthy. She was a single mom managing three kids. Her, um, you know the kids the kids dads or the kids dad I should say started working temp jobs to help support the mom while he wasn't in the picture. And ultimately, she lost everything, and she just ended up going with her mom in community housing. And uh, when we're talking to this kid, what we try to do is we try to develop a blueprint. Because for most of these gang kids, you know, there's, there's seven main risk factors that we're really focused on. One of them is being connected to a positive adult role model. And the other one is we have to connect a, a blueprint is what I call it a pathway out. You know, there has to be an economic way out for self-sustainability that's in alignment with his dreams. And generally 12 year olds, you know, once you get them talking and they're comfortable, they'll tell you anything. Yeah. So I asked the kid, I said to him, look kid, what do you want to be when you get older? And again, there's assumption, you know, there's And and it does come up, but some people say, well, this kid wants to be a basketball star, rapper, social media famous, a drug dealer. You know, you'd hear those things. And I would hear those regularly. But this kid said, I want to be a French teacher. And uh, that was the first time. Yeah, that's the first time I ever heard that. So I, I say, French teacher, why do you want to be a French teacher? And he says, well, my French teacher is the only one that speaks nice to me. So boom, there's our bingo. There's our aha moment. And and this kid had historically been involved in school. And then this is the uh, other concept is, you know, we talk about bullying. And, you know, what I say to people is, is bullying is, is a strong predictor of future behavior. You know, what do we call it when a, a 10-year-old goes to another 10-year-old and says, give me all of your money or I'm going to beat you up? You know, mm-hmm. what do the school call it? It's called bullying. You know what it's called when you're over 12? It's called robbery. They're, they're practicing yeah. delinquent criminal acts before they become it, but we give this soft touch to it and we choose not to accept it for what it is. But those are strong signs at a very young age when we can intervene and prevent this type of behavior from happening in yeah, adulthood.
1: So, yeah, Ron, I, I, you know, and, and that's, the, that's the critical thing here is that, that you were able to intervene and you have a plan of action for each individual case. Is that right?
2: Oh, 100%. There, there is no just feel-good moment here. Everything is very project management oriented. We have key performance indicators and we have goals. So with this kid, what we do is we bring in his, his French teacher I let the French teacher know. I said, Look, man, you got a huge impact on this kid. He wants to be a French teacher. And then we sit down with the kid and his family and we said, Look, do you know how to be a French teacher? Kid had no idea. It was never presented to him as an option. He he thought this was a pipe dream. And when we explained to him and we said, Look, pal, you know, you gotta do decent in school, then you gotta go to teachers college, then you specialize in French, and then you apply to schools. You know, he didn't realize it was that easy. He thought it was this huge obstacle, and then we talked about resources and we said, Look, you can get a scholarship, we can help you out. And and look, this kid was ideal for us because we've never had a problem with him since. And it's been about four yeah. years. And so you've you know, got cases
1: now, where, where these kids are are taken out of the gang environment and, and they can get scholarships and they can get yeah. more education and, and move on with their lives. That happens?
2: Yep. 1,000%. And we're talking minimal investment here. There is no billion dollar strategy involved behind it. It's very one-on-one. It's very people focused and oriented. We strip this down to bare bones. I studied social science like on my own throughout this whole process. I became a, an expert in what I do. And one of the things I preach and advocate to people is, look, you do not need a new bureau, a new ministry for this problem. You need people. You need people that have the common sense ability to create a pathway for somebody to for them to achieve their dream. And what do we see now? You know, we see entrepreneurs that are villainized, you know, and it's, that's the worst thing you can do because look, <laughs> excuse me. Look, I've, I've owned a business before. I've owned a gym. I know what it means to make payroll. I know what it means to make money. But that gym was my baby. Right? That was a dream for me. And when I know all my other entrepreneur friends, this is not a business for them. This is their dreams. And when we villainize people like entrepreneurs who employ thousands of people and keep a strong economy going, well, we're villainizing people chasing their dreams. And trust me, a lot of these criminal kids, um, they are entrepreneurs. They have the skill set to do extremely well. They just don't have the guidance or mentorship and you don't need a billion dollar strategy. And this makes economic sense, which is, you know, I've spoken about this and people in the conservative world that says, look, you sound like a liberal. No, man, this makes complete sense to do because the cost of crime is absolutely intensive and it's so expensive for all the taxpayers. You know, a homicide in 2016 Canadian currency costs a taxpayer on a conservative estimate, five to $6 million. Where in the liberal estimates, it's a 15 to $16 million. And that's because the cost of crime isn't just the administration of justice, it's the impact on property value, capital investment, uh, you know, employment opportunities, high-rise development, generating infrastructure. People will not invest in a high-crime community. And that's why we have 40 and 50-year historical problem areas in Canada. It's, it's terrible. It's, a, it's the stupidest thing to do. And what happens is we have real victims, real families that are impacted. And when we talk about these gang kids, you don't have to agree with what I'm talking about. But you need to understand that on the other half of this, if this doesn't get mitigated with evidence-based proven strategies, we got real victims. And then what do you say to their families? Yeah, no, exactly. Can you you talk a little
1: bit about about, uh, gun violence and gun policy? Because I know this is obviously a hot button issue and a bit of a divide between liberal NDP voters versus conservative voters. what's, What's your insight on how to deal with uh, the guns that gangs use versus the, you know, uh, the gun control kind of argument.
2: Listen, um, here's the best example, best example I give to people. And in in 2019, I was, sorry, I did an interview with the Associated Press uh, on behalf of the Toronto police. And I spoke about at that time, what was presented as, as the new, you know, gun reform where we're going to go after lawful gun owners. And I spoke openly against it because the guns that we were seizing never came from Canada. It was, it was some astronomical number, I'll say, in the 85 to 95% of the guns that we had seized. And I had worked in the gun and gang task force. I would worked in gang neighborhoods. I've seized hundreds of guns. I've never seized a gun that was lawfully owned in Canada. They were all crime guns from the United States or ghost guns in Canada. So in 2019, I do this article and uh, I do this interview with the Associated Press. And I said, look, this is, a, this is not an effective idea. This is actually going to be worse because we're punishing law-abiding citizens. I said, if you want to really attack it, let's look at the stats. Uh, roughly speaking, you know, you do know how many people die in Canada from drunk driving? It's about three times the number of people that die from gun violence in Canada or violence involving firearms. Now, if we apply that same logic of the government's approach to deal with gun violence or violence involving firearms to drunk driving, well, we should be banning cars. Yeah, But that makes no yeah. sense. Because we're not going after the criminals that are actually doing the crime or the source of it. We're not actually going after drunk drivers. We're going after everybody. And we're saying, you know what, you can't take care of yourself. So we're going to babysit you to death. And that's what they do. And, you know, once you start going after um, the lawful population based off of the behavior of a few criminals, well, we have a really big problem in the country. And we got a really big problem in leadership because that will do nothing to solve the problem. and In fact, it'll make the problem worse because I don't want to forecast and I don't want this to come into fruition. But I imagine if you live in rural parts of Canada where, you know, the 911 call, it's 45 minutes and God forbid something bad happens to you. And not that I'm saying it's, it's meant for that purpose, but on a bad guy's perspective, you know, a lot of the reasons they don't go into those rural communities based on my experience and my conversations is the fear of guns. They're afraid sometimes that they're going to go into a, you know, a lawful gun owner who's a sports shooter or a hunter and that they're like, I'm not going to go into that house. Are you crazy? Where as opposed really? to a uh, major metropolis, yeah, I've, I've heard it in debriefs with bad guys because some of our debriefs have to be with, where did you get the gun from? Yeah. And, and sometimes they'll tell you, sometimes they won't. And sometimes they'll have, you know, they want to open up conversation and you say, look, are you, are you getting it from Northern Ontario? Are you getting it from these gun shops? And, and I've had it on, on for at least four or five occasions where, um, you know, repeat firearm offenders have said, are you crazy? Why would I break into a guy's house? Who's a hunter? He knows how to shoot. He knows where his weapons are. They're generally locked up. They're generally kept well. Uh, I'm not taking that risk. He said, I'd rather just get it in my route, which is most of them are guns from the United States that get smuggled over the border. And our border, unfortunately, is not strongly supported enough with either technology or staffing to be able to catch this. Nor do we have intelligence exchange that should be up to date. You know, we should be actively working with the DEA, the ATF, uh, American authorities on that. And I know that's in existence, but that should be bolstered. Uh, we should take that money, that, that billion dollars that are designated to this gun ban, look, give half a million, or sorry, half a billion to strengthening the border relationship with the United States for intelligence purposes and joint force operations, and take the other 500,000, and let's get to these core risk factors of poor economic design, poor economic policy, you know, really actually Uh, putting more cops on the street because the number one deterrent of poor behavior is to increase the fear of getting caught. These are all things that I'm not saying anecdotally, I'm saying they are evidence-based. They've been replicated all over the world. So the things that are working, we're not investing into instead we invest into these strategies that seem to, in my opinion, just pull well for votes. It's terrible.
1: Uh, Jody, what what are your, uh, what are your thoughts after hearing Ron on some of this stuff?
0: I have a lot of thoughts going through my head. I, um, I'd be interested in, and I don't want to take up a ton more of your time, but I'd be interested in knowing your thoughts. Like, I I know I won't give the exact area, but I, I followed a uh, police association, a police force that, you know, and they've made some comments recently about policing being more proactive versus reactive, because there's always this discussion that. You know, the police actually don't protect us from crime. They just show up when crimes already occurred. So, you know, that's not really, uh, it's not really the best thing way to do things, but I agree with your statement about the biggest deterrent is seeing is more officers on the streets, knowing that if you do something wrong, you're going to get caught. But do you find that some policing police forces are kind of, as, as you said, trying to get not, not so much votes because they're not politicians, but in a certain way, some of them are, but, um, Are they more going with the the vocal people that are, you know, saying things like we have to defund the police? We got to, you know, stop the police. And, you know, they they have too much power. I, I don't know if you know what I'm trying to say, but I find that there's people are afraid to say that more more boots on the ground is not a bad thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's not coming from the police services, right? We're municipal services. We're, we are separate from uh, legislation and budgeting. And that's where chiefs come into play in uh, board of directors, right? Your police services board. Um, <laughs> generally speaking, those police service board members will vote on new budgetary requests and growth of it. And the role of the chief of the police and uh, some other members of, of the police service is to continue to advocate for what's actually needed. So they can say, look, on the front end, guys, we, we need to have more police officers on the street. In order to do that, we need to grow our budget. Additionally, what's happened is over the last, I don't know, I'd say, you know, eight years uh, and plus, uh, police services are expected to take on more and more responsibility. So the scope of what we've had to deal with has grown so significantly that it just drains our resources. I mean, we're dealing with, you know, uh, drug addiction, you know, overdoses. It's a three-tiered response. Police, fire, and ambulance because we try to save a life anything mental health related it's falling under our lap you know domestic violence has been redefined by certain police services to not just include you know intimate partners but also family members because of some terrible situations and strategies <clears throat> so the the overall increase for you know what what police are being held responsible to respond to and to fix drains our resources and then in turn for us to Uh, develop the appropriate relationships and the stakeholders and and integrate everything, all these services. It's so hard to do because of election cycles. You know, you need all three, you need, you need municipal, you need provincial and you need federal to be on board for public safety, but all three run on different election cycles. So it's really hard to get partners to come to the table and agree that this is a joint strategy that we should do. Uh, So police services look all across the board, all over Canada, they're begging for more cops in the street. We're begging for more support but what happened is there was a trend a couple of years ago where it became trendy, and it, it was a, a great thing for some uh, politicians to say we should defund the police, and they ran that platform. And right now we have elections in Toronto, for example, the by-election for mayor, and that is a hot button issue. Is some of the candidates in that election have voted to defund police? Where if you look at the city of Toronto, what is the number one issue? Public safety. No question. Yeah. You know, no, and and now that is an issue of contention. So when you have Uh, decision makers that are going off of what's current as opposed to what's long-term, what's appropriate, and what makes actual sense to do. We we have what we have, which is unfortunate. And I'm not saying these people are bad people. I just think that um, these are what I call unintended consequences. But those of us who had seen this coming down the pipe are, are banging our head on the wall again and saying, man, guys, come on. Like This isn't us telling you we told you so, but we're saying what did you expect to happen here? Like, what fantasy land do we live in? The, the reality is there are terrible people that exist in the world. I'll tell you about 10% well, of all criminals yeah. are responsible for about 100% of the criminal decision making. Yeah, the other 90%, percent exactly. they make it a mistake. It's okay. We, we can work with that. But this, this core group, we have to go back and acknowledge that. Look, there are terrible people out there, and, and they cannot be allowed to be back out repeatedly because they continue to do the same things in victimized communities.
1: Ron, we're gonna to have to leave it at that, but I really wanna thank you for your advocacy. It's just amazing the kind of uh, work that you're you have done and are doing and uh just keep keep on fighting for uh for some of these young people that can be saved.
2: Yeah, one hundred percent. And not only can we save their lives, we could save the lives of their potential victims. Exactly. And that's and, and their families. And uh, it's and so important. Family. So thank you, Tony. Thank you, Tony. No, Ron Chin's you, great for having on.
1: you on the program and uh hopefully we can have you back at some point.
2: For sure, thanks, guys. I appreciate it.
0: Very interesting discussion there with Ron. Now, Tony, let me ask you this: Do you think that we could use more Eugene Tackleberries at the helm of certain police forces in our country?
1: Is he who's? I have an image in my head of who that is. But oh, who come is on!
0: The, you don't know who Eugene Tackleberry is? Is
1: he the guy that said, "What we have here is a failure to communicate"?
0: No, he's from he's from Police Academy. Oh, he that guy. Okay. He I was, was thinking of
1: Buf- Buford T. Justice. That's who I was thinking of.
0: No, he uh he was in Police Academy. But no, Ron, uh, yeah, Ron, he could probably go a couple hours, I think, on this show. Oh, yeah, no.
1: And we didn't even get into auto thefts, but we'll we'll do that next time.
0: Son of a yeah. So what do you mean? How to do them or no, I don't know what's going place? on with
1: all these car oh. thefts. Yeah, oh, okay.
0: I was like, I was like, are you uh you're not telling me something here yeah, you want to how, be a little bit.
1: Ron, how do auto thefts really work? Yeah, you know yeah. what's the, what's the key? Yeah,
0: Ron, what's the, what's the best way to say get into a late model <laughs> Toyota
1: or a Lexus, it, yeah. You know? yeah.
0: <laughs> or a Lexus, yeah. No, that was good. So we'll definitely have to welcome him back. Well, that uh, that'll wrap up this program and again, thanks to everybody. Uh, that continues to listen. We appreciate the support. We do. Um, Municipal Solutions is our proud sponsor each week. You can find them at municipalsolutions.ca. Hunter's Bay Radio, every Saturday morning, 88.7. You can tune in and catch us there. Lord and Lady Coffee, go buy some, lordandlady.ca. And since you're going to be online doing all that, go to abramstickets.com and buy Abrams Tickets to see an amazing outdoor Music extravaganza this July in Belleville, Abramstickets.com. Perfect. And that's all I got. And I guess we'll do this again in seven days.
1: Let's do it.